Hey guys, it's Gwen. If you love what you hear, there are a few ways you can help us during season two. First, don't forget to subscribe to the Fresh Fiction Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcast apps. Rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast with your friends helps us out more than you'll ever know. Sharing is caring, as they say. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram as Real Vixen. Welcome back to the Fresh Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Gwen Reyes, and I'm feeling a little psychic energy today. My guest is the incomparable uh, Kay Hooper, author of the Bishop Files series. The newest book, Final Shadows, finishes out the series with a bang. Set against the backdrop of a desperate underground war, Final Shadows asks, how far would you go to keep your secrets hidden? I'd like to welcome Kay Hooper to the podcast. Hi, Kay. Hi, Gwen. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm happy to. <laughs> well, Kay, you and I were just having a great chat before we started recording, but um, I wanted to get started with just you introducing yourself to our listeners. I know many people already know you, but just kind of your uh, your bio. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's sort of disconcerting in a way because the bio, in terms of time, feels like it, it, it gets longer every year. Oh, I'm sure. So I, have, I, have to, I have to go back farther and say, well, when I was, I sold my first book at 22, um, did not have any idea what the odds were against me. If I'd known, I never would have had the courage to try. But, I, you know, I discovered writing in college when I also discovered that I hated uh business classes which is what I was taking mm. and um, I just on a dare from a friend I sat down and because I was always reading I sat down and started writing a story and I was so hooked that I asked my parents to give me a typewriter for Christmas and they did oh, nice. and I started you know it was a, it was a Kmart special my mother worked at Kmart at the time and um, an electric typewriter, and I started writing, and I was hooked as quickly as that. It's like there were so many stories in my head, it was hard to, to you know, rope one and pull it in. Oh, and um, it, it, from there, you know, it, it, there, was, there was a lot of, in the early days, there was a lot of experimentation. I'd start a story, then realize, okay, that's a nice idea, but it's not going to make a book. Um, things like that, and then I... I wrote the first book, and uh, it was a Regency romance, because that's what I was reading at the time, uh, but did my own personal twist on it, so my heroine wasn't so much in silks and satins and gowns. She was a highwayman. She was robbing people Ooh, on a horse. Yes. Yeah, she, but she was looking for something. It was, there's always a mystery, so she was you know, searching for something, and this was the best way she had found to uh, look for it, so, so I started that, and it sold and um then the editor for that book suggested she said you know the regency market's beginning to to dwindle a little bit and this is in the early 1980s and um she said but the contemporary market's opening up do you think you can write a contemporary romance and i said sure so i you know sat down and started writing and um the second book see i had i had written a regency while i was waiting let hear about the first one. That one ended up being the only book I've ever written that never sold. Um, I just put it in a box under my bed for years and then finally just trashed it because I thought, you know, second book, you make all your mistakes on the second book, you know. Right. You're, you're trying much harder with the first book, so... Um, uh, anyway, I, and they uh, went so much faster with that second book too. You know, like, there's a lot of pressure I feel on that second yeah, one. Yeah, it, 
Yeah, it's the difference between being an amateur and a professional. It's one of the differences because the first book, and I've heard so many writers talk about it, is uh, they call it the book of your heart because that's the book that drives you to sit down and start doing a job you you can't be trained for and you probably have no experience doing unless you've you know written short stories or essays or something and basically you know it's it, there's just a story bursting to get out of you so you sit down and do that and then you have these professionals in new york say okay now you know here's your deadline and you think oh my god a deadline mm-hmm. you know I, I have to do this within how a am i supposed to have a, a heart story a story of my heart under a deadline <laughs> yeah it's just it's very it, it was a very strange thing i'm i'm grateful looking back that i was as young as i was because um it, you know, everybody at that age is learning how to do some kind of a job, or they're in college, or whatever. And if I think if I'd been older, it would have been more difficult. But I was just like, okay, that's part of this work that I want to do. If I want to tell the stories that I want to tell, then I'm going to have to cope with deadlines, and contracts, and editors, mm-hmm. and you know, all, all kinds of things I learned along the way. All that business stuff that you didn't want to study in college. Oh, yeah, all that stuff I didn't think I was going to have to do. I yeah. told people, I, I'm like, it's like a cosmic joke because my, my thought initially was, oh, great, I can be a writer, I can stay at home, I can work in my pajamas, oh, the dream. You know, I can have a cat in my lap, this is absolutely perfect. <laughs> and just the first few years, they were like sending me to do, to big cities to do to do. Uh, signings, and I had to go to writers' conferences, and they brought me up to New York to meet all of these, you know, very impressive people in suits. <laughs> and and I'm like, I'm a small town girl. I thought I was just going to be able to, you know, sit at home and write. I just wanted to be in my pajamas, and you're making me put on real pants. Yeah, it, it's just it's. I don't know. I still, when I built this house, um, I, I kept in mind that I'd spend the largest part of my waking hours when I was under contract, and I've been lucky enough to be under contract mm-hmm. uh, almost constantly this whole time. Um, so I, you know, I designed my study very carefully, but I made sure there was like room on my desk for at least two cat beds and, you know, room behind it for a couple of dog beds because I knew they'd be around me. Yep. And I just, you know, I learned, I, I learned the business side um, completely reluctantly, but also because you hit a point, it's probably been a little past your third book, this has been my experience, because the first book is the, the book of your heart, the second book is the hard one, because you, you, you realize this is work, you start with an idea that hasn't been driving you for two years you know Mm -hmm. and you and you have to pull a book out of it somehow and you make mistakes and you backtrack and you drop pages in the trash you do all kinds of things but by the third book you you've understood at least in, in my case in my experience you understand that that you never get finished with the book um you just at some point turn it in you know, you do the best you can in the time that they've allotted you, uh, and you get better if you're lucky. Um, I got better. I served a great apprenticeship as a romance writer because they needed a lot of books very quickly. Yeah. 
partly because they were publishing them the way they published romances. I mean, excuse me, magazines. Every month was a new selection of titles. So, you know, I managed to write um, close to 50 romances. Wow. Um, and that, at one point, I think I think the top year I did about eight of them. But, you know, you'd average writing one during a month and take a week or two off and then, you you know, start the next one. And um, I was dependable enough that they would go ahead and slot my books. They would schedule them. So if I was late, everybody was in trouble. Oh no! So, <laughs> did you ever have any? Learn. Did you have any late submissions? Oh sure, I think everybody does at some point or other. There, there's things that happen in in your life, um, unexpected things. You know, there are illnesses of family members. There are, you know, uh, a pet has to suddenly be taken to an emergency clinic or whatever, or or it's just you getting the flu. And right. yeah, you know, there are times when you have to call your editor or your agent and say, I, you know, I'm going to be late. I'm sorry. There's nothing to do about it. And if you if you turn, I mean, if you work hard and you're professional and you do your best and you turn in the best books you can turn in always, then for the most part, publishers are you know very editors are certainly very understanding. Publishers, you know the big the big money people, maybe not so much. But mm-hmm. if you've been writing for them for a while and you've earned the money and you've been professional and you've you know, I, I don't badmouth publishers in in public any more than I badmouth writers or editors or agents or anybody else because I know how hard the work is, right. how hard the job is. Yeah. So to me, it's, you know, you respect everybody for doing the best they can and you hope that they're going to respect you for doing the best you can. And generally it works out. Absolutely. It's true. And I mean, the fact that you've had a career for the last, you know, three to four decades is is testament to that in itself. Yeah, it's early on in my career because I, I knew so many romance writers and we wrote so fast. And the books... Um, like I said, because they were published like magazines, they were on the shelves maybe three, three and a half weeks, and they vanished. They were out of print. And my agent and I had talked about it, and she said, the thing is to keep building your backlist, keep building your backlist. Because, and she was very sure about this, she said, when you hit the New York Times, you know, your backlist has become, is going to become very valuable, and yes. it's going to earn much more money the second time around. Well, you know, I wasn't so sure about that, but one thing I was sure about um, – not being married, not having kids, uh, having made that choice a long time ago, this this is my legacy, my, my backlist, my books. Um, yeah, you know, what you're this, leaving this is, for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is my life's work. And so it was always important to me to do the best book that I could. Um, when they let me, I would try to give some input on the cover if I had an image in my head that I thought would be good. Um, the one thing I've virtually always fought for have been my titles and some of my writer friends could care less what their books are titled they, they really it's just not an important part of their process mm-hmm. but i start with a title i start with a title and then uh, a few um a character here and a character there and then a setting and an idea and the idea may be just something weird's going on what's going to happen next right and, you know, I build from there, you know, that I build kind of a, a foundation and and then just follow my nose. I let 
you know, I put my characters in the situation and hopefully breathe enough life into them that if one of them turns right and I thought he was going to turn left, um, and that happens, thank goodness. Yeah. Sometimes those characters know better than we do. Yeah. I used to panic. I mean, I would get up and pace and walk the floor and think, why? Why why did he say that? Why did he do that? I don't Mm -hmm. understand that. Now I have learned just to go, huh, how about that? And just keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Because two chapters later, something happened, and I go, oh, that's why he said that. Okay, so I'm convinced my subconscious does part of the writing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so to go from, you know, getting getting your bearings and learning the craft and learning the, everything with um, Regency and then with Contemporary and now to be doing romantic suspense and straight suspense and thrillers, um, mm-hmm. what was that jump? What, what me? Because that's, I mean, it, it seems natural to go from Contemporary to, to, um, to suspense, but for you, what was the sort of the natural direction for you? Well, the interesting thing is, again, if you go back to my very first book, it was a Regency romance, but my heroine, you know, dressed all in black, wore a hood, and robbed people on coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she even robbed a duke. Um, that was, of course, part of the romance. Um, and, so, and it was a mystery. She was trying to solve her father's murder. So from that very first book, you have the seeds of all the things that interest me um relationships between people yes love stories uh, mysteries a strong uh female character mm-hmm. who was strong enough and tough enough to get out there and you know not not ask for help not not you know sit back in her her pretty little you know dresses and say you know help me please i, yeah. my, I don't know who killed my father she went out and figured it out herself and she had help, of course, but from from those from that first book, um, with very few exceptions, there were some exceptions in the romance because um, kind of early on I discovered humor, and I wrote several books where that was more the secondary element than suspense was. Uh, I even wrote one that was almost pure slapstick. I rewrote it, reread it not too long ago, and started laughing. And I thought, "Oh, oh my wow. god, I can't! I can't believe I wrote that." <laughs> That's a very funny scene, but it was like pure slapstick. <laughs> um, but other than that, a lot of my romances, just the sl- the short series romances, had some kind of an element of suspense or mystery. Uh, and then as I went on, some elements, especially when I got to what I call the girl books, the romantic suspense books, Amanda after Caroline, um, uh, let's see, Amanda after Caroline, uh, Haunting, Rachel, and Finding Laura, all those in there, they're all mm-hmm. girl books. Um, those were the romantic suspense, and, and you know, they also, of course, had pretty strong suspense elements in them, but... At least a couple of them had also had very strong um, paranormal elements, and I, it was it was like me following my nose. It's all the things that I've been interested in my whole life, and a story pops up in my head. And sometimes I think this is mostly suspense, and other times I think, okay, this is you know this this needs something else to mm-hmm. make it work, and. Gradually over time, you know, the suspense is still there, um, but the paranormal elements really crept in. And 
with the Bishop series, both the, the, the trilogy, which is the Bishop Files, and then the series, which is the Bishop Special Crimes Unit. Um, that's the longest one that's been going on since uh, 2000. Um, I've been able to I've been able to have a lot of fun with with both those elements, a lot of, with suspense, with you know the 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 danger sometimes. Um, even horror elements kind of creep in. And, and discovering, you know, that the, the paranormal was a strong interest. And that, it actually circles back to when I was a teenager because I spent some years as a teenager and I was just inhaling books on the paranormal. And it was at a particular time, and I'm not going to date it, but it was at a particular time when there was a lot, there were a lot of books, a lot of nonfiction, a lot of work. Duke University was doing studies, a lot of major universities around the world were doing studies on the paranormal. And so there was a lot of stuff to absorb. And all during high school, uh, the quote-unquote nonfiction books that I was writing, that I was reading, it was everything from, you know, Edgar Cayce's Psychic Healing to uh, uh, Taylor Caldwell's The Search for the Girl with the Blue Eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these, you know, just classic, classic paranormal stories about all different areas of, of the paranormal. I found, I found myself with the Bishop series. Um, and the Bishop Files is just a little bit different, but I found myself with the Bishop series kind of building my own world, and I really enjoyed it because uh, psychic abilities have always fascinated me because I firmly believe the human mind is capable of almost anything. Mm-hmm. And that it made sense to me that, that just like, you know, you could have uh, a Mozart or or, you know, somebody who who seems to like pop out of the womb with this amazing ability that in some people, you know, some abilities are going to be more developed or advanced or triggered or just, you know, for whatever reason. So I just, I started kind of building a whole world around it and I grounded it very, very firmly in science. I thought it was. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought it was important because my characters are FBI agents, and I thought, okay, the FBI is not known for a sense of humor. It's not known to be frivolous as an organization, and I have great respect for the FBI. I did a lot of a lot of research on the organization itself before I decided to go this way, and I thought, okay, if the FBI is going to accept a unit of psychics, Everything has to be grounded, at least in the possible. You know, nothing magical. They have to be very matter-of-fact about it. They have to consider their abilities just another tool to use, just like, you know, their ability to profile, because almost all my characters are profilers, Mm -hmm. because that that process fascinates me. So fascinating, for sure. I would have a hard time getting out of the the, just the researching part and actually writing characters down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it 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 really is because you can start with, you know, here's this creature, this evil person, so-called person, doing this horrible, horrible thing, and then you have to, as one of my characters said, you have to find the logic in the madness right. because there's logic there. It may not be logic you understand, but you have to be able to understand what they understand about it, and you know what drives them and motivates them, and you know the whole nature versus nurture thing, you know, um, 
the saying that that psychopaths are born and sociopaths are made, that kind of thing. So, you know, there was a lot of psychology, which luckily I took some in college, but um, there was also a lot of reading about it, a lot of reading from um, the, the guys that did the pioneering work in profiling. And then I realized as I was building my, my psychic world that all of that reading and as a teenager, which I had just done for my own pleasure and my own interest, um, had definitely left me with my own firm ideas about things, mm-hmm. about, you know, um, about the limits of psychic abilities. I mean, I'd, I'd see these TV shows or something where they'd have a psychic, and it's like the psychic could do anything. And I'm thinking, no, just like I have bad eyes, I have to wear contacts, you know, and reading glasses now, which is adding insult to injury. <laughs> and so I have to do that. And, and you know, we, don't, we only hear a fraction of what so many other animals can hear. And it's like every sense we have is limited. So it made sense to me that psychic abilities would also be limited by the individual, you know, by their experiences, whether they were stronger or weaker. Um, in those abilities, whether they had more than one ability, and the fact that you can't push a button and just make it work. That's right. not what happens. So, the, you know, as many of my characters have said over the years, sometimes it's really more of a curse than a blessing because when you need it, it's not necessarily going to be there. And when you don't want it, it may, you know, blindside you. And that can be a bad thing depending on the situation. So I was, you know, I, because I had developed my own ideas and my own, um, my own sense of what made, uh, sense of what made sense. I don't want to use that twice in one sentence. <laughs> in, in, you know, in this world, I was able to do it and, and, you know, come up with specific definitions according to the special crimes unit, you know, how they defined a telepath, how they defined an empath, how they defined um a a telekinetic person you know all all of that plus you know a character who sees auras i thought that makes sense because everything that's alive and or electronic or magnetic has has a field around it right and it made sense to me that some people could see that absolutely um you know it just again like i said it, it it was one of those things that made sense so you know i've i've played around with the different abilities i've played around with what triggers the abilities if you if you're born kind of a latent like you have you have the the germ you have the seed of that ability in you but you've never used it you never needed it and if you do you know what causes that seed to to open and also the the question of are we evolving toward that or away from that right. oh that's and that's the crazy thing too because you're finishing part of the series but then the bishop uh the main bishop series continues yes yes the uh the the bishop files trilogy um, I had an idea that had to do with like this grand conspiracy about oh, okay. psychics, mm-hmm. and it did not fit within the um, the SCU series. It just didn't the Bishop SCU series. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, Bishop could kind of be the bridge because he is. I had over the years I'd made it very clear that he not only is 
intensely interested in and protective of psychics, but that he keeps track of them. He keeps track of psychics that he's interviewed, hoping to bring into the SCU or into their uh, civilian sister organization, which is called Haven, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is you know completely private and and but still does investigative work and still uses psychics that might be a little bit too fragile for, you know, the more rigorous uh, jobs as, as an FBI agent. And because I had that idea and it wouldn't let me go, and I finally, I finally uh, approached the publisher and said, you know, I mean, I could probably take this series 10 books, but I don't want to. If I, if I, can, if I can wrap it up in a trilogy... First, we get some more information about Bishop that's going to, I think, surprise some people, especially the final book, Final Shadows. Um, but the other thing is I wanted to, I wanted to show that, that people with psychic abilities could be targets, um, either targets of fear or targets of opportunity. You know, people are either afraid of what they don't understand or they want to figure out a way to exploit it. And so I had that idea of this grand conspiracy that was going on that, you know, most people had absolutely no awareness of. But Bishop being Bishop, you know, he knew something was going on and he decided to find out what it was and see if he could help. And uh, in, in the end, he and Miranda actually did do a lot to help and it turned out the conspiracy is even bigger than i thought it was going to be which is always a a a nice surprise you know i sit there i sit there smiling going wow i didn't know it was going there again our character characters are always surprising you (laughs) always surprising me yeah and and the things that they do and the things that they say so that's the magical part that's the part that's the part that makes all the hard work really worth it because it's it's hard i mean it's hard to take a story idea and turn it into a book that's going to entertain other people you know you've you've got a it's not like you've got an audience in front of you and you can constantly ask is this funny do you like this do you like you know you write for yourself and you hope that you know your audience uh sticks with you and i've been so lucky i still have members of my audience um that started reading me way back in 1981 and have stuck with me all these years and still write to me now that we've got you know facebook Mm -hmm. uh, i I interact a lot with uh, a lot of my readers on facebook and we have email and i give out my email address and i say you know write if you've got a question or whatever and they do and um, some of them are, are very funny, and sometimes they just want to say thank you, you know, that, that you know, they, they read one of my books because they were sitting beside the, the bed of, a, of an ill relative, and it helped them get through that. And I don't know, I honestly don't know a better compliment um, for a writer than for somebody to say, you took, I had, bad things were happening in my life and you took me away from that for a while yeah that's that's like the special this the most special relationship that you can possibly have that's amazing it really it really is and i have been lucky enough to to hear that 
Um, I've sent many, many people an email or a text or a Facebook message back saying, thank you. I was having a bad day and you made it so much better. <laughs> so, you know, it, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. You were saying before we started recording that you have to refill your tank, your creative tank. And I'm curious what you have to recommend for us to, that you're watching, reading and listening to right now. Um, I'll start with listening to because that's in a way that's the hardest question. Yeah. I I have extremely broad ranges, a st- extremely broad range in what I listen to. Um, I was kind of weaned on country music, but over the years, um, I like on my on my iPod, my iPhone right now. I have everybody from um, the Statler Brothers and Garth Brooks to Lady Gaga. And, <laughs> and um, I think I have some NSYNC on there. Oh, and nice. I, My favorite. From, I also have part of part of one of the musicals from Les Mis, which is my absolutely favorite stage musical. I've seen it several times and I still cry all the way through it. And, uh, and love the music. Just love the music. And, you know... Odds and ends. I I can listen. I've done this. I can be watching a show, and there's a background song, and they only give you like half a verse or something, and I will hunt that down if I like it. (laughs) I'll hunt it down somehow and find out, you know, where it is, and then I'll go to iTunes, and I'll buy it, and I'll put it on my iPod or my iPhone um, just because I love it. I've discovered a lot of you know, new artists or artists that were unfamiliar to me doing that. So that's kind of that's kind of an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm reading um, at the moment, I'm actually reading. Uh, I can't give you a specific title actually because I'm, I've, it's just gone out of my head. But <laughs> I always hate I'm, that. I was reading one of the newer books on uh, or a couple of things. I'm reading a couple of political books. I'm also reading, because I'm a political junkie, and I'm also reading um, one of the newer books on uh, profiling and criminology. And I, I try to keep up with those. I mean, I've read the originals, the the guys who, you know, got it all started. Um but it's interesting now that you know there are women that are much more more well known, like Candace DeLong, who does uh, who who hosts uh, Deadly Women on Investigation Discovery. Right. And the things she talks about, um, uh, because she was in it, you know, back in the '70s, and she was in it when there were very there were almost no women in it. And um, it, it, she's fascinated by the human mind the same way I am. So I, I find her, you know, very interesting to listen to. Um, so it's that. And when I get to the, the what I'm watching, I, I will say my go-to channel is Investigation Discovery. Because of all the crime and criminology shows, uh, because of Deadly Women, because of uh, Homicide Hunter with Lieutenant Kenda, um, because of all of these um, cops and agents and operatives that are telling you what really happened. Yeah. Right? This, the, this was the crime. This is what we, how we started. This is how we figured it out. Kenda's especially good with that, and he has a very dry sense of humor, so I like him a lot. Um, but there, you know, there are a lot of shows on investigation discovery and I watch that's like that and MSNBC are like my two go-to channels. Um, when it comes to movies, 
Uh, I love science fiction and fantasy. I absolutely love the Lord of the Rings and um, the Harry Potter things. And I'm very much into superheroes. Oh, yeah. So the Marvel movies just completely, you know, I, I love them. I absolutely adore them. I love the idea that that there can be heroes, even superheroes. It was the same thing with the X-Men, although what bothered me about the X-Men was a little bit more, it, it's more like what I think reality would be, that you have these abilities that mm-hmm. scare people. Yeah. And so they, you know, you're mutant, you're, you're other. And, of course, we all know we're in a political period right now where other is getting just a lot of hate and, you know, vile stuff right. uh, spat at them. And I really, really hate that. And But the but the X-Men is kind of a, that was kind of an, uh, it was almost a precursor. It was like, look, this is how people are going to react. Some of them are going to be grateful when you help them, but they're going to be afraid of you because you're not like them. And, you know, and that's, that's just a human thing. So, you know, that I think that comes closer to what, how reality would be if we suddenly found a lot of psychic people or a lot of, you know, X-Men among us, um, that it would be as much of a problem as anything else. But mm-hmm. that's, that's the kind of thing I've, I watch. Um, I also, when it comes to, I love television. Again, some of the stuff is along my interests, like Supernatural, um, love Supernatural. Mm-hmm. I also, there's a British mystery series that's been running now for almost 20 years called Midsummer Murders. I love Midsummer Murders, yeah. Love Midsummer Murders. And that's another of my go-tos. I have, I, I think I've watched The Killing of the Badger's Drift so many times that I can probably recite the dialogue as the actors are doing it. Oh, wow. That's great. And I just, <laughs> it's just, you know, the care, just the fact that it looks like such a sweet, innocent little village. And then they start turning over rocks and really <laughs> twisted people start crawling. So, you know, that's one of the things that interests me. So, um, you know, basically murder stuff and uh, science fiction or fantasy stuff, magic stuff. Uh, I've been watching The Gifted. I've been watching. i am just gotten into Madam Secretary, which I really, really like. And um, I was a West Wing fan. I am an Aaron Sorkin fan from way back. Oh, man, yeah. I think he's like one of the gods of television, um, just like uh, J. Michael Straczynski, who created Babylon 5. Um, another one of my absolute favorite such a shows. Show. Yep. And even though it was done in the mid-90s, I, j- I just uh, finished watching season four on DVD <laughs> because I, it was like it was time to watch Babylon 5 again. And I had forgotten how much was in that that made me think about our current politics i was like oh my god i mean i didn't i didn't notice in the 90s because it wasn't happening but a lot of the stuff that's happening happened in that show is happening now you know uh, in america and it's it's sort of unsettling um yeah it's always it's always so shocking when you see art that's older rep, you know very um holding the mirror up to what the rest of the world looks like right yeah. now You're like, oh you yeah. were a soothsayer apparently and if you listen to uh straczynski because i i do that i listen to the you know uh the, the producer or the director the writer in his case he was all three wrote most of the episodes um and you listen to him talk about 
uh, uh, while you're watching the episode, because you've seen it, you know, in my case, a dozen times, and you're listening to him explain about why he did this or that, made this choice or that choice. And of all the TV writers, he's, he comes closest to my process, I've, I've discovered, of how he writes and how he puts stories together and, and why he makes decisions he makes about characters. And um, and he taught, you know, he was talking about exploring certain themes because they appealed to him. And as he's talking, I'm I'm looking at that, thinking, okay, they recorded this because I checked, they recorded this only 2003, and I'm thinking, okay, I wonder how Joe, Joe Straczynski feels now because he's looking around, going, oh my god, I anticipated, this. <laughs> I didn't even know it. So I think that that you know, who knows, 10, 10, 15 years from now, I may look back and go, wow, I didn't know that I saw that coming. Right. <laughs> You're like, I'm just creating stories here, and then they become real. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I honestly don't know. I don't know if there's anything, I started to say paranormal, but that's not even the right word. I, th- I think it's just very human to look ahead and to think and to, um, to consider a possibility and then sort of examine it from all angles and ask yourself, you know, what, what does this mean? Um, why do people keep doing this? You know, why do we keep repeating bad things, making bad decisions? And also, why? Where do we get our optimism, which is always there somewhere? And it's um, it's it's fun being a writer uh, because I get to explore all of that. It's they're little pieces of me and all the characters, but the characters get to be people I'm never going to be, and they get to think in ways that. You know, I have to stretch my mind to think because it's not me. Um, and that's part of the fun of it, I think, is is being able to be all those different people and do all those things, both amazing things and mundane things um, that are outside my own experience. Yeah. And uh, that that's the fun and the magic of it, Absolutely. I think. Oh, for sure. Well, and Kay, yeah. that's a great place to um, to finish. We're all done. Our, this has been so much fun talking with you. I've enjoyed it, too, very much, Gwen. Um, so for our listeners, how can they stay in touch with you and find out more about you? It's very simple. Um, my um, I have a website, which is in the process of being um, redone. Mm-hmm. But my, my website address is very simple. It's Kay at kayhooper.com. Um, I have two Facebook pages. I have a personal Facebook page, and I will warn people, if you go on that page, you're, you're kind of going to get the un, unvarnished K, mm-hmm. and I talk I talk about pets, and I do a lot of networking for rescues and, and shelters and animals in trouble. I also do a lot of political stuff. Um, I don't pull any punches. I don't believe that's, you know, fair. Very um, true. And that's, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that one is Facebook, K. Hooper Bishop, I think is what it's called. But you can also, I also have an author page. And it's one of, it's pure, it's just books. It's books and, you know, what's coming up next. And we're going to add some other bells and whistles to it, I think. And um, so if somebody, you know, doesn't want to get into the other stuff, 
I, but wants to keep up with the books, then you can find me very easily on Facebook or go to my website or email me. I answer my own email. Sometimes it takes me a while. I'm usually <laughs> behind. But I do answer my own email. I don't have a, an assistant who does that. So the answer you get is going to be coming straight from me. That's awesome. That takes a lot of time. I understand. <laughs> It does, yes. <laughs> I spend, sometimes I spend a little too much time at my desk not writing, but uh, it's it's part of the job, and it's actually part of the job I enjoy very much, the contact with the writers, the, the readers, the one-on-one now, because that, that wasn't really possible 35 years ago the way it is now. So. Yeah, that's true. Makes yeah. a world of difference now with all the technology. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, Kay, thank you again so much. Um, and you guys can find Final Shadows anywhere books are sold. It's available starting on December 31st. Thank you again, Kay Hooper. And we will talk to you guys next time. Hey, guys, it's Gwen. If you love what you hear, there are a few ways you can help us during season two. First, don't forget to subscribe to the Fresh Fiction Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcast apps. Rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast with your friends helps us out more than you'll ever know. Sharing is caring, as they say. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram as Real Vixen.